Todd Bills here, back with another edition of Overdrive Radio. We've heard a lot over the past months about transparency in the brokered freight market. What owner-operators mean when they say transparency, by and large, is the ability to know the rate the shipper is paid for the load. It's an assist in future business decisions for many, knowing whether you've been hosed on a rate. Well, for some, it's the ability to know you're about to be hosed on a rate, as the broker is taking much more than a typical share of the gross revenue from the shipper. Demonstrators have raised the issue to the level of the White House, stressing the need to enforce the regs on the books today, which regular readers will know require brokers to make a full transaction record available for review after the fact of the negotiation. OIDA has pressed Congress for automatic disclosure of such to be included in the next pandemic relief bill, though it hasn't been seen in any drafts that we know of. FMCSA itself has been tasked to look for ways to improve transparency after demonstrators and others successfully got their attention to the issue. We've heard about how truckers are thinking about this particular subject in a variety of reports, and during my podcast edition touching on the subject with independent owner-operator Brian Hutchins two weeks back as well. Today and next week, though, we'll have this two-part conversation about the evolution of the broker's role in the freight market from the other side of the equation, with longtime trucking veteran and current broker Paul Berman. He's the vice president of logistics for the East Coast Transport Company. Well, I grew up in the northern suburbs of Philadelphia, went to uh, Cheltenham High and Boston University. I grew up in the food business. I um, first drove a truck in the summer of 74. Um, my dad was involved in a uh, food distributor business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked on all sides of the food business and transportation uh, industries, including food service, dairy, meat, seafood, imported meat, uh, produce, and all the other proteins. I've worked uh, on on the senior management side of uh, shipper in a distributor environment. Uh, on the shipper side of manufacturing environment, I've uh, specked out tractors and trailers for purchase. And somewhere in between all that, uh, I was an owner-operator for three years with two different trucks. I ran produce coast-to-coast, and I ran fresh and frozen LTL throughout the northeastern part of the United States. Uh, currently, I'm the vice president of logistics of East Coast Transport. Uh, it's a 40-year-old family business that uh, their corporate office is in Paulsboro, New Jersey. Uh, as a matter of fact, right across from the truck stop in Paulsboro, New Jersey. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, the uh, the owner of the business started as a truck driver himself. And uh, I, I would say that probably 70% of the freight that we broker is food products. And of that 70%, about 80% of that product's refrigerated. And we have an office in Northwest Arkansas and then my office here in Palm Beach, Florida. So I've done a little bit of everything in trucking, including driving. I, I recently gave up my CDL 
I don't know if it's really considered recent. Probably six years ago, I gave it up. Seven years ago. Yeah. I'm figuring you you'd gotten to a certain place where you couldn't see really going back out and using it much. Eh? Yeah, I I didn't think I was ever going to get back in the truck. It's I I thought of it that I was getting uh, too old and out of shape to do that work <laughs> anymore. Um, and you know, what's day to day like for you there, um, at East coast? Are you, are you actively, uh, you know, working on load coverage, doing those kinds of things? Are you more involved in sales? Are you just managing the folks and helping manage the operation there? What, what are you doing? Uh, I'm more of an operations guy than I am a sales guy. Although I have made many sales calls. I'm responsible mainly for anything we do that's refrigerated because that's where my expertise is. So uh, whether it's uh, produce, poultry, meat, uh, anything fresh or frozen, anything having to do with that load, including um, uh, scrutinizing new carriers to come on board, uh, rates, negotiation of rates with shippers, negotiation of rates with carriers, and, you know, just the day-to-day operations of continuing to build the relationships between our teammates, our shippers, and our carriers. So I'm involved in a little bit of everything. Among principal reasons I was interested in hearing from Berman and thought you might be too, has to do with the current freight environment, of course. It's been tough for all, but among carriers there's a widespread perception, in plenty of cases an obvious reality, that, there's been undue, that they're being unduly squeezed on rates that any given broker is taking undue advantage of a crisis situation and simply put, keeping way more of the load than makes any rational or even market sense. Carriers themselves play a part in making that possible, of course, and as Michigan-based small fleet owner Joel Ruhlman put it to me a little over a week ago, with so little freight to go around and bills to pay, quote, we're out here cutting each other's throats because we want the work. Until we see a huge uptick in volumes, we're going to see that, end quote. I asked Paul Berman for his own perspective on the carrier-broker acrimony that's gone off the charts over the last two months, and ultimately what parties, uh, what both parties might do to better understand each other's business and operate uh, in future to better mutual benefit. It's a long answer and involves some history many of you will be familiar with. At once, history is a story unto itself, and as such, always shaded by the teller's particular experience. For my money, it's beneficial to hear it again from Paul Berman's perspective right here. So sit tight. You, you know, to start with, I would say uh, as a cliche that we've come a long way, baby. <laughs> you know, in you know, l- let's go back a few years. You know, in 1935, Congress passed the Motor Carrier Act, and that essentially put government regulations that were enforced by the Interstate Commerce Commission, which, as you know, is no longer around. And that made um, carriers pick specific lanes based on locales of um, and specific freight and specific rates that had to be 
reviewed by the ICC before you were able to haul that lane. And what that essentially meant that if you were a small guy, you weren't trucking. And things really didn't start to evolve uh, almost 45 years later until 1980 when they passed the... uh, the Motor Carrier Regulatory Reform and Modernization Act, which is also known as deregulation. So that reduced all the regulations from the ICC, and it was supposed to uh, create about um, $8 billion in savings and they also speculated that it would conserve hundreds of millions of gallons of fuel by doing that. And that's when trucking really started to enter into the free market. Just wanted to jump in here and say that we told this story through the voice of former household goods hauling owner-operator and author, Finn Murphy, our own contributing blogger and veteran produce hauler, Paul Marhofer, Old School, Wildcatter, Theldon, Thornburg, and others in Episode 3 of the Over the Road podcast series, which debuted in March. Search A Brief History of Trucking in America at OverdriveOnline.com to find that if you missed it. So, deregulation in the 1980s ushers in greater market competition into formerly regulated trucking. Agricultural products were always more or less unregulated, though, keep in mind. And then in the years following that, you know, brokers traditionally were a backhaul engine of the trucking industry. Most manufacturers and distributors ran private fleets because of the ICC. You know, if you were a private fleet, you didn't need to have a rate because you were hauling your own freight. So, you know, but these guys, you know, if they uh, were origined out of New Jersey and they sent their truck to Dallas, they wanted to try to cover some costs to get the truck back to New Jersey to reload with their product again. So that's where the broker environment really offered something in the industry to carriers. Now, since then, I mean, things have changed a lot. And what's changed is now is that um, uh, the way the market is, the load boards and the fact that we have all this information technology that's shared on the internet, uh, it's created its own marketplace. Whereas uh, smaller carriers years ago would go make their own sales calls and at least have a shipper for one direction. And then just like everyone else, they were using brokers as their backhaul engine to get back. But what's happened is as the markets expanded and the carrier base has changed, the load boards and the spot market has essentially created its own marketplace. So now there are owner operators that are coming into the business that have uh, decided to run their business based on uh, loads available that they pick off the spot market on load boards. And I think that has caused 
a lot of problems for a lot of owner operators in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, unfortunately, you can be a terrific driver. You could be a, um, a, a smart businessman behind the wheel without really having a good business plan to maintain your business. Most freight in the United States has a cycle that's affected by seasons. So typically, you know, the first three months of every year typically is a slow time of year. And as we get um, through the spring and summer, things start to build up and the crescendo goes in after Halloween when retail sales um, are spurred because there's uh, Thanksgiving and then Christmas and New Year's. So it's all kind of a dramatic load up through the year. So as these seasonal events occur, supply and demand is constantly changing. So whether you have a flatbed or reefer or a van, you know, you have to have some kind of a plan of how you're going to maintain um, your business when rates change and freight backs off. So when there's not a lot of freight and there's a lot of trucks, Shippers use that as a tool with brokers specifically to push rates down. Rates are predominantly set by large asset carriers. Shippers typically, they don't want to be in the trucking business. You know, that's why they hire asset carriers. They try to stay away from operating their own fleets today and they also use truck brokers because they don't want to be in the trucking business. So an asset carrier, a large asset carrier carrier knows exactly what his cost is. And then he has targets for profitability. So they actually set a base rate and shippers realize that a broker is it needs to make more than that because if, uh, if for example, carrier A tells a shipper that the lane is a dollar fifty, chances are, if for whatever reason, freight's not available or his truck broke down or his truck got held up at the shipper or delivery and he didn't make it to his usual shipping point to make that $1.50, he may go out on the spot market and look for a load. Well, he's gonna try to optimize that time the best he can. So if he's normally $1.50, he may tell a broker he needs $1.65. So now a broker is faced with $1.65 and let's say he puts 10% on it or 15%, whatever that, is say it's a dollar eighty. So now the spot market's a dollar eighty. So not knowing what an owner operator's cost is, which at most times is going to be more than a guy that has three thousand trucks. 
right. not sure knowing how much he needs to put in his pocket. A lot of these businesses just operate from positive cash flow. So that's where it starts to get um, confusing when you take a look at the market and you say, what's the rate? Well, the rate's right. probably going to be based on what the guy with 3,000 trucks says the rate is because he has probably the lowest operating cost where an owner-operator may have a higher operating cost for whatever reason. I'm not saying good or bad. Keyword in that is may, ultimately. For the larger asset-based carriers, a good bellwether on operating costs is the American Transportation Research Institute's annual surveys and analysis that compute an average per mile cost to operate a truck. Last year, that figure was a buck eighty-two a mile. That includes driver pay. Subtract what's typical for a company driver per mile pay from the figure, and you're down in the dollar, dollar thirty, or forty range for costs. That also happens to be what the largest share of owner-operators report their own cost per mile, which typically excludes the cost of paying oneself. It's been quite a while since we surveyed Overdrive's audience of owner-operators, though, on this particular question. Look for a poll question next week on this that score. At the same time, almost as many owner-operators report cost per mile a good deal higher than that, in the buck fifty to two dollar range. As Berman suggests, higher costs uh, in general, such as they may be, and depending on the operation and the freight it's serving, generally mean much more rates pain in a big market contraction. When big contract carriers come into the spot market in droves to com newly compete on all lanes and the dollar signs light up the eyes of the greediest among freight actors. As most certainly happened after the brief restock rush in March and ultimately resulted in many independents being squeezed and shutting down to wait till some semblance of normalcy returned. It also led some of those independents to protest action in D.C. and elsewhere around the country, of course, and at least a new channel of communication with the White House for the groups. And some level of official commitment to enforce transparency regs on the books, if not make further modifications there. Time will tell on that front. What is an owner-operator going to do when the market shifts? What's he going to do on the rainy day? Now, you know, obviously I don't, you know, as an old owner operator and as a driver, I don't understand how you can stay shut down. I really don't. Yeah. I don't think that's helping anybody's cause. I think, um, you know, the more trucks that run in the market today, the better off the industry is. And I'm not saying it's going to improve rates or it's going to reduce rates, but staying parked and not working isn't sending a good message either. Yeah, when I mentioned that, I was I was simply I was not uh, exactly referring to shutting down in protest. I was uh, I was referring to um, folks that are shut down because they do not see. Uh, freight out there to be hauled at a profit. And, <laughs> you know and, I mean, it's, it's just out of necessity. And, this is not out of a uh, you know willingness. On and the it's part. true. L listen, there's obviously bad actors in the market, just like there is anywhere else. There's bad yeah. car dealers. There's bad restaurants. There's terrible truck brokers. There's truck brokers in business that know nothing about trucking. 
all they know is about volume of phone calls and a rate. My position's always been with our carriers is we want to build a relationship. Now, do we post loads on uh, on the internet? Absolutely. Most of those calls last less than three minutes. They want to know the lane, the rate, the weight, the commodity, and they'll ask the questions. If they're not interested, they hang up. There, I think, is a failure on the side of the owner-operator and for the broker, because to me, it's a missed opportunity. Carriers should be building relationships with brokers and tell a broker what lane works the best for you. You know, to me, if you're in the trucking business, you know, you, you need to go where the freight is. And I know that, uh, every, you know, everybody has a, has a range that they want to stay in for whatever reason. That's okay. It's part of the free market. They can do whatever they want to do, but they should be building that relationship with a broker and say, look, I have a 53 foot reefer. I have a tractor that's five years old. My trailer is eight years old. My refrigeration is six years old. I'm based out of here, and I like to run here, and I've done this successfully. And you know, what kind of freight do you run? And find a broker that has the freight that works for your business, as opposed to going on load boards and playing bingo on a load board, just trying to find a late, a rate or a lane for that day, because that's not going to get anybody anywhere. And it doesn't help brokers either. I mean, we've, you know, through all this, our company has continued to pay the same rate provided the shipper hasn't forced us due to market conditions to reduce the rate. Mm -hmm. And there are times it goes the other way where conditions change, where we have to go to the shipper and have them increase the rate. But right. our, the trucks that we want to have relationships with are the trucks that we want to run that same lane every time they call us to have a relationship with our associates in our office and give us an opportunity to help them be successful. We've never turned our back on anybody. We've had owner operators break down in the middle of New Mexico that needed a turbo that had no money. And we've loaned them the money unsecured to fix their truck, to keep them going. They're the relationships that you want. You're really out there, like like you said, that you do post loads to load boards um, uh, often enough. Uh, you're really looking for folks who can really work a, a lane on a particular account over and over and over again. Right, and that's the heart of our business. Unlike some of the larger brokers who take uh, freight from companies that may only call them three times a year, and say, hey, you know, my uh, asset guy isn't going to make it, and I have to get this load picked up. Can you help me cover this load? And they throw him a rate. Do we do that? 
Yeah, but not very much. I mean, we're, we, you, you know, when it comes to our operation, you would think we're more of a carrier yeah. the way that we operate because we look for full-time business with full-time lanes that are obviously profitable, and some of them are less profitable than others. And, you know, we want that business 365 days a year. Whereas, you know, some companies, it's not that important. If they can get a load from this guy on this lane and a load from this guy to this lane, then that's what they do. And they just flood the shop, the, the, flood the spot market with different lanes and uh, rates every day that don't necessarily have any balance to what the true rate is for a specific lane. Right. You know, because it's an emergency for some shipper that doesn't have a relationship with a broker. So they'll just call anybody and say, can you help me with this? I mean, we get calls like that and emails like that all the time. And most of them, unfortunately, just go unanswered because we're trying to concentrate our efforts on our full-time shippers and our full-time carriers. You know, we try to be the, uh, the advocate for the carrier. Well, there are plenty of brokers out there who operate just that way. As the spot market has become over the years a usually viable option for an independent on its own for profitability, an entire new generation of both brokers and small fleets is coming to being with readily available freight and capacity, pardon the cliche here, quote, at the push of a button. Those kinds of operations can lead to more meaningful freight relationships and connections for both parties over time, but not without effort. Often enough, the almighty dollar is pursued by all involved at the expense of building any kind of foundation for stability in lean times. as has been shown to be the case in countless examples over the years. The quick collapse of that kind of model in the worst parts of our recent and ongoing crisis has been the result, Berman suggests. And he's hopeful that prompts real change for more carriers and more brokers, ultimately, taking the time to really listen to each other. As my colleague and longtime owner-operator Gary Books had it, uh, he was speaking on something of a different subject, but nonetheless it applies here. Do the hard work now so that the next big contraction doesn't squeeze you out. That's a paraphrase. Other headwinds are at play too, Berman believes, for owner-operators, particularly those with older equipment, at least when it comes to some of the shippers in East Coast Transport's mostly food-oriented business. Those of you least the larger carriers have seen this too, I'm sure, to an extent. It used to be, they used to say, a truck is a truck is a truck, and that's not true anymore. You know, shippers, because of nuclear insurance decisions, uh, shippers are looking for newer equipment. We have guys call, their truck is 11 years old. Their trailer is 15 years old. A lot of our shippers, they say absolutely not. It doesn't meet the requirements. You, you know, there have been uh, studies in the last two years that's somewhat frightening that 40% of, of uh, carrier accidents are uh, under a broker load. So, you, you know, the broker takes on a lot of risk. You know, just imagine this. So we have $100,000 worth of freight 
and we've promised to pay a guy, whether it's immediately after delivery, after he shows us his PODs through comp check or automatic account deposit, uh, and we're going to load them with our shipper's freight that's valued at $100,000. And we're going to do all this over the phone in less than 10 minutes. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's almost a frightening thought that we're going to make a business deal like that over the phone. We don't go out to lunch. We don't shake your hand. We don't look you in the eye. We, we know virtually nothing about you except statistics. Imagine that sounds familiar from your side, too, as it were, when it comes to risk-reward calculations and spot negotiations with unfamiliar parties. Vetting a broker with credit checks and the like will only take you so far. The dollar signs lighting up the old reptile parts of our brains can cloud the better judgment time to time. A little exaggeration there, of course, but you get the point. If you're going to work with brokers, spend personal capital on building real connections based on mutual respect and trust. Recognizing the risks of brokers taking in working with you, just as the good ones, emphasis on good, will recognize your own. In any case, there's much more where all this came from. In the next episode of the Overdrive Radio uh, podcast, next week, more of this talk with Berman, including discussion of the transparency rules on the books and how they played out in the East Coast operation, and why brokers do what they do around them. Also, that old acrimony between carriers and brokers, generally speaking. Here's a little taste of what's come to take us out to the end. Stay proud there. Since the 70s, nothing's changed. It's always, you know, it's just like inside of companies where operations and sales never get along. Brokers and carriers seldom get along because one reason or another, and it usually has everything to do with the people. It usually doesn't have anything to do with uh, the the plan of the business. It usually has to do with people, they get aggravated, they had a bad day, they fought with their wife before they came to work. You know, there are those things where you pick up the phone, like I said, you're having fast conversations on the telephone, so everything you say and how you said it is being perceived as a truth to somebody, when in fact maybe you didn't actually mean to say it that way but it came out that way and you rub somebody the wrong way to cause doubt in their mind